good morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Esther chapter 1, the book of Esther chapter 1. Today, we're going to look at a couple in Scripture, King Ahasuerus. Now, let me, let me just say this, King Ahasuerus. It took me a little while to, to get that pronunciation. Ahasuerus is actually one of three ways to pronounce his name. And uh, the first one, which is actually the way the Hebrews pronounce it, was so complicated that I'm like, I'm going to stick with English pronunciation of his name. So King Ahasuerus it is. And Queen Vashti. King Ahasuerus and Queen Vashti. Queen, King Ahasuerus is going to make some stupid decisions. He's going to make some decisions as, as not just as king, but as, as husband. And Queen Vashti, she's going to stand by her convictions. Now, they are not the model example of husband and wife for us to look to. However, there are some things when we look at them that we can learn. So the book of Esther is going to turn our attention to a group of people called the Diaspora. If you haven't been here, let me bring you up to speed really quick. We are doing a series called Hope After the Storm. Hope After the Storm. We're looking at three books in particular. The first book is the book of Ezra. The second one's the book of Nehemiah. And the third is the book of Esther. Those three books are um, historic books of the Old Testament. But more specifically, they focus on the post-exilic period. Now, what in the world does that mean? It just simply means that they're focused in on the events that took place for Israel after or post the exile. Uh, They were taken into Babylonian exile, Babylonian captivity, for a period of 70 years. Now, that was prophesied by Isaiah. And we knew that it was going to be a period of 70 years, and that's exactly what happened. At the end of that 70 years, just like Isaiah said, there would be a king by the name of Cyrus. Isaiah, Isaiah even gave us the name of the king. King Cyrus is going to allow them to return back to their homeland. Now, keep in mind, it's a province of or under his control. So, yes, they were allowed to return to their land, but it was still going to be under the king's control. It was going to be viewed as a province an extension of their kingdom. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and how the Lord has given them hope after this storm that they've been dealing with in their life, after they've been dealing with this captivity for 70 years. Some of them, it's all they've ever known. They were born during this time of exile, so they've never known the homeland. They've never known what it was like to live there. So they're finally making their way back. The group that made their way back to Israel, they became known as the remnant. That was discussed in Ezra and Nehemiah. Esther then shifts our focus to a different group of people. And these are are Jewish people. These are people that were brought over in in captivity by the Babylonians. But they're not going to go back to Israel. They're going to continue to live in Persia. They're going to continue to live in this, this uh, community, this pagan community, um, even though they've been per- given permission to return. 
That group is not known as the remnant. The remnant returned. That group is going to be known as the diaspora. So the book of Esther then shifts its focus to that group known as the diaspora. Now, with all of that background in mind, let's begin with key point number one, and we're going to unpack it from, uh, from the scriptures. Key point number one is this, that Queen Vashti stood by her convictions. Queen Vashti stood by her convictions. Let's pick up verse 1 of Esther, chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, the citadel. From great to small, to the court of the garden of the king's palace, there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. For so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zephyr, and Karkas, seven eunuchs, who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials. For she was beautiful to behold, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by the eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. When I, now, before we, before we jump in, it's important for us to kind of define some terms, uh, to be on the same page. Because when I talk about convictions, and I make the statement, Queen Vashti stood by her convictions, we probably all have these different ideas. What is a conviction? I mean, people have different mindsets of, well, what exactly does that mean? Is a conviction something that you're willing to die for? Well, some would say that's its definition. Others would just say, no, it's just, a, it's just a strongly held belief. 
Well, the, the word convict, from, from which we get conviction, the word convict is used seven times in the Bible. So our convictions, when we look to the Scriptures, where, where do our convictions come from? What is the source for our convictions? Well, there are, there's two sources uh, for our convictions. The first one we find in John chapter 8, verse 9, and that's our conscience, right? It's, there's something within us that goes, you know, that's, that's right or, no, I think that's wrong. There's something within us that our conscience tells us. John 8, 9 reads it this way, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Now the context for that was Jesus uh, dealing with the woman accused of adultery, and he said he without sin cast the first stone. And their conviction came from the people who started to walk away. Their conviction came from their own conscience. However, you know, our conscience is not always the most reliable source, is it? I mean, it may, not, it may, be, it may be true, it may not be, but our conscience is not, is not really stable. But it is a source from which we develop convictions. The other one is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit, or when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So both of those tell us uh, that these are the sources for our convictions. So in other words, convictions are not the same as God's commands. God's commands carry the weight of God's authority, the authority of God's word. Our conscience, on the other hand, is not a perfect indicator of right and wrong. So unfortunately, we don't always submit to the Holy Spirit either. I mean, sometimes we walk in the flesh and sometimes we walk in the spirit. But if we're walking in the flesh, we can't always trust our convictions. But however, we can always trust in the Holy Spirit. So, we are to walk in the Spirit. And we are to submit ourselves to God, which requires humility. And then exercise ourselves in his word. And when we commit ourselves to walking in the spirit, as opposed to walking in the flesh, we can establish trustworthy convictions. Now, that's a lot to be said. I, I get that. That's a, a lot. But it's important for us to understand where convictions come from. Ultimately, our conscience or the Holy Spirit. And we have a choice to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Now, what exactly uh, do I mean that by that? The question is, who is in control? When you walk in the spirit, you're saying, I'm going to walk in submission and in humility to the Holy Spirit. When you walk in the flesh, you are pushing the Holy Spirit to the side and saying, I'm going to walk in my own desires of my own flesh. So ultimately, it's a question of or a matter of who is in control. But I want us to understand that it's important to have convictions, but also know where those convictions come from. And Queen Vashti stood by her convictions. We're not really sure exactly what the king commanded other than, if you look back at it, he tells her to come out wearing her, her crown. 
some have suggested that that's all he wanted her to wear, uh, was just her crown, that that's it, and, uh, and nothing else. And when you read the context, it's very possible that that's exactly what he was uh, suggesting. And it says that he wanted everyone to see you know, how, how beautiful she was. But here's, here's the point. We need to have convictions. And convictions are important to our life, but the source and understanding where they come from is also important.